Hello, welcome to Blaze Pod. My name's Ben, recording this on Tuesday, the 27th of August, coming off the back of United's 2 1 defeat to Leicester City this weekend. Uh, Andrew is away. He does not have a good internet connection where he is, uh, although he's still able to do his, uh, his view from from the Leicester game. So, and Blackburn, actually. So, go check out those on roysviewfrom.com. Good effort by him, but stepping into the breach. Very generously taking time out from his ridiculously busy schedule. I've got Jay coming back, Mr. Blades Analytic himself. He is going to talk about uh, this Leicester game with me. We're going to look ahead to uh, Chelsea, talk about some of the reaction to Wilder's comments this weekend, which was a little weird, I thought, um, and run through um, Premier League predictions as well, get a quick take from him on those. Um, at the end of the podcast, I'm very pleased to have uh, Chelsea fan Ram Srinivas joining me. Um if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen me retweet Ram stuff quite uh, quite regularly. Uh, he is a writer, uh, podcaster for We Ain't Got No History dot com, a Chelsea podcast, uh, an EFL analytics expert. I think it's probably fair to say. Um, loads of great stuff from uh, on United last season, on all stuff happening in the EFL. So he's a great follow on Twitter, um, and yeah, really appreciate him giving up uh, sort of ten fifteen minutes just to give a little bit of a Chelsea perspective ahead of this weekend's game. So. Yeah, thanks very much to uh, to Jay and to Ram. Uh, thank you for downloading and listening, and uh, here we go. Very pleased to announce that the EFL have approved an emergency loan in uh, in Andrew's absence, and I have none other than Blades Analytic. Jay joining me once again to talk about the Blades. How are you doing? I'm very well. I've just spent like 10 seconds wondering who the hell is Andrew, because to me he's still Roy, but yeah, now I get it. Yeah, I, I still sort of trip over that a little bit. I think I'm, I might just have to give in and just call him Roy, to be honest, but hey, welcome back. It's it's a pleasure, mate, a pleasure to be back. The the busiest man in football, I think, to be honest. Do you want to just quickly tell people what uh, what you're up to at the moment, as much as you can? Uh, just lots, lots of 1 o'clock, 1am uh, mornings looking at graphs and videos and it's not as not as glamorous as you might think <laughs> you are of course a uh, recruitment data analysis for uh, peterborough united at the moment um along with generally just continuing your massive output of analytics on on social media and writing for uh, various websites and yeah this is, this is what i'm saying busiest man in football but fortunately you've uh, you've managed to keep your hand in with the blades and uh, still you know keep up with what's going on so yeah I'm, I'm very pleased to have you back to talk about uh to talk about the weekend um look ahead a little bit to chelsea and uh talk about some other things around united as well um you obviously saw the game uh this weekend it was a 2-1 defeat you know it's first defeat of the season to Leicester City um, I guess probably first place to start for we really drill in I mean overall feelings after the game I just, do you know what it, it's like it's almost like the result being there the result didn't matter almost in a way it was I was just so impressed by the atmosphere yeah I thought it was rocking for like, you know sometimes Saturday 3pm is when it's you know that much sunshine if you've been on the beer beforehand and it's a bit hot maybe not as rocking but it, especially when we went 1-0 down um, I think you know. I think McBurney and Sharp coming on really changed it. Oh, I mean, the ground already jumped, but yeah. Did, did it feel like that where you were as well? I mean, we were. It was just bouncing, and it it felt like we were going to score. Yeah, we were going to in and score, and that's the type of atmosphere I want to see all season long because it, it did matter. You know, Leicester visibly shrunk and, and retreated, um, but overall, just just a frustrated, frustrated element that 
this side that have been, you know, very good in the Premier League so far didn't quite hit the gears we needed to in our hardest game of the season, if that makes sense. Mm, it does. I, I went into it thinking that we'd lose because um, I'm pretty high on Leicester this season. Um, yeah. And then I was frustrated that we <laughs> hadn't got a point because it felt like we deserved to without, yeah, without us playing at our best. I think you could probably make the case that was maybe not, maybe our, our worst performance of the season. I mean, it's, these things are yeah, relative. Yeah. I don't think we were bad, but you know we'll come on to Wilder's post-match comments later on. But yeah, it was. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I've been really, really impressed with the atmosphere of the first two uh, first two home games. I mean, um, the everyone around me is, is stood up on the cop so far this season, which is nice because I'm always uh, always on board with that. And yeah, it's it's been like 90 minutes of singing from from that area of the ground, particularly. But yeah, that that substitution. I can't remember something like that happening before. I don't think where it's like. It just gave. I think we all wanted a lift, didn't we? In a way, like yeah. it felt like, how are we going to get back into this game? And you know, chucking sharp on isn't always like, right, that's it. Now we're going to absolutely storm Leicester. They're not going to know what's hit them. But yeah, him and McBurney coming on, and yeah, it just completely, completely changed the atmosphere of the ground. And everybody was like, absolutely, just screaming, basically, like, you know, come on, this is it now. It's going to happen. But because yeah, I mean, if if you look at the game itself, I mean, it was a, a game of. Very few chances, I think, which has been quite uh, quite consistent with um, all three of our Premier League games so far. Um, so, yeah, 10 shots for Leicester, 8 for us. Uh, XG was pretty close for both of us, although we should say that one of United's biggest chances, the, the John Lundstrom close-range effort, was actually probably, possibly would have been ruled out for offside. The flag certainly went up um, after Schmeichel had saved that one. Um but yeah, the the first goal came about through a mistake, which is so. Fr- I mean, basically, we conceded a goal from a mistake, and then a fantastic strike from uh, from Barnes. But yeah, this was this is a bit of a heart sinking moment. Basham just sort of it just goes on a little a little amble in midfield, and I, I think it was one of them where he just he just picked a bad moment, didn't he? Sort of turned inside towards I think two or three players and. Yeah, we had men up the pitch. I mean, if you look at the moment where the ball gets turned over, you've basically got Egan 15 yards deep of O'Connell. Uh, Basham's obviously facing the wrong way because he's just lost the ball. Both wing backs are high up the pitch. It was it was a pretty poor decision. And then um, yeah, if there's if there's two players that you don't want to kind of leave with the ball in that situation, Madison and Vardy are probably it. And yeah, Vardy inevitably gets his goal against us uh, again because he scored against us in the cup in the FA Cup <laughs> a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, what, what was your take on that goal? Uh, we've seen Bash do that. Not the mistake, but we've seen Bash do that, like turn inside and then drive centrally probably a hundred times in the championship. And, you know, maybe he's lost it once and we didn't get punished because you, you tend not to in the championship. I don't want to fall into that narrative. There's some excellent players mm. in the championship, but there isn't a James Madison to pick that pass to a Jamie Vardy. Um, you know, it, it, that that is the difference. But Bash does that all the time. And not one fan, including myself, will have been happy he did that on Saturday, but not one fan, including myself, should ever say he shouldn't do that because that's why Bash is there. Yeah. That's why Bash that stats are always brilliant for dribbles because he drives through the centre of the pitch with the ball. It opens the pitch up and allows George to go on the outside. So it's it, that is part of the game plan. Um, it, it was on. He just didn't execute it well enough. And I think that's probably a metaphor for that game. Actually, a, mm. a lot was on. A lot was happening, but we didn't quite execute anything well enough, really, um, other than the cross and the header that McBurney did. But even that was 
you know, it, it was a good knock-in by George, but, you know, we come on to it, it, it was a very low percentage chance. Headers generally are, and McBurney is well known for being very good at finishing headers. It yeah. sounds a silly thing to say, but he tucks them in the corners rather than straight down the middle, so they often go in. But they, we didn't quite execute everything well that day, uh, and that was the prime example of it. And once we lost the ball, it's in, it's impossible to fall back into shape because Vardy is lightning. Oh, you know, I, I, John Egan, who's been amazing, hasn't he? He's been amazing in the Premier League. He was even good on Saturday, let's be honest. He, he won everything that came in his kind of area, but I, I don't expect him to cover for Bash and chase down Jamie Vardy. It was a, a bit of an error. Uh, you know, good play from Leicester to pressure, which they pressed very well. And just an astonishingly good pass and finish, really. It's mm. I, I like Jamie Vardy, I'll be honest. I do I as like. well. I, I was a little bit like, oh, come on. When he was like, cups his ear to the crowd, I was like, oh, come on, mate. I don't, I, I quite like you. <laughs> I kind of respect yeah. you as a, you know, a player that's worked his way up from non-league. You know, he's been one of the best Premier League strikers of the last 10 years. I don't think that's even a, a remote stretch. You know, I don't think that's a stretch to say that. I think he's been good for England when he's played and, uh, yeah, he's a fantastic finisher, and, and that was another one. I mean, I, I saw a little bit of fan criticism for Henderson, um, which I personally thought was very harsh. I mean, there's this thing, I actually just read an article on um, on The Athletic this morning, which was very good, um, by uh, Matt Pizdrowski, I believe it's pronounced, who is a... Uh, is a current player and goalkeeper analysis for um, sorry goalkeeper and now analyst for the Athletic. He was talking about uh, De Gea conceding at his near post. Basically, his article is about how keepers should never concede at the near post, and that's like a myth and is like kind of misinformation. Yeah. And that was a criticism I saw of Henderson for this goal. But yeah, something in the article which I'd never seen before is this concept of like black holes around goalkeepers, where it's basically really difficult to save. Where it's like. It's not actually like in the corner. It's just in these sort of spaces around the keeper. So like near the knees where you can't get your arm down up by your head, where again, it's hard to get your arm up into position. And I think, to be honest, Vardy just smashes it into one of those black holes next to Henderson's head. I mean, you could say maybe he could come out and, um, you know, try and close the angle. But, you know, Vardy takes the chance actually quite wide. I mean, I think it was only like a 0.4 XG, which is is quite high. But, you know, I thought it would be much higher, I think. But yeah, because he takes it quite wide, it's... um, yeah, he takes it on his, his outside foot as well as left foot. I don't think there was any real blame on Henderson at all, to be honest. I thought it was just a really good finish. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, well, well, I'm progressing through my UA for B thing now, and they do on their unit, the little module thing you do on goalkeepers, it talks about that. It, you know, if it's not wide of them, you put it almost next to the body because the goalkeeper doesn't know what to do or whatever height. Do you throw a hand at it? You know, do you, do you have to move your feet? Do you go with your, you know, for whatever reason? And, and plus, if you just spank the back end of, out of the ball, like Vardy tends to do, it's very difficult to kind of second guess where it's going. Yeah. You know, stop guys a keeper you can't move to adjust to the body shape if someone looks like they're going to bend it. He's just spanked the back end out of it from 12 yards away. Yeah. You just have to react and it just flew past him. I no blame at all for me, yeah. Medina. I've got to be honest, I thought for like a half second, I mean, it's probably more hope than actual expectation, but I actually thought it hit the side netting because it just... The yeah. way it just smashed out of the net, it was it was almost shocking. I don't know if I just blinked at the exact moment that it hit it somewhere, but I was just like, oh, God, that's gone in. <laughs> Not that it wasn't a good chance, but it just genuinely shocked me how, how yeah. fast it hit the back of the net, I suppose. But, yeah, that's what Vardy does. He's a fantastic finisher. And, yeah, he's welcome to have his moment. You know, some United you know, fans were giving him some abuse. I was, I was not one of them because I, I quite like him, as I said, but... Fair enough. Madison, Chip, you know, getting involved in that as well. It's like, ah, oh, son off, mate. Who are you? <laughs> you know, what's what's he's your beef? You're from Norwich. <laughs> he's just chip. He's just chippy, isn't he? he is Madison's great. just chippy. He's got a very chippy social media, and he's one. 
yeah, you know, we'll all talk about it on Twitter how he fell over every single time that with the wind blew near him. <laughs> but guess what? That's the Premier League. Someone will do it next week and the week after and the week after. The fact is, he's a fantastic footballer. He is, yeah. <laughs> he just is. I was thinking um, <clears throat> when we did our end of season awards for last season, we did our uh, I don't know how we how we called it annoying player of the year award. Yeah, the polite yeah. way. I was thinking we probably have more contenders now through three games than we did through the whole of last season. That's right. <laughs> welcome to the Premier League. Yeah, I, I just want to lob in a line from uh, I think it was Den Blades came up with this, but uh, called Madison. I think it was in the Norwich report of the Norwich game. Actually, called him a floor to floor midfielder, which I I really liked and wanted to make sure <laughs> I, I dropped that one in here. Um, we didn't have many chances in that first half at all. Uh, Lundstrom had a long-range shot. Baldock hit a very crisp volley on the edge of the area. Um, he did. Which Schmeichel took with uh, incredible casualness, I think. I mean, almost like shocked that the ball was suddenly like in front of his face. Um, had an echo of that when Harvey Barnes scored late because it's almost the exact same position that Barnes spanks it into the net. But there you go, I suppose. Um yeah, second half then, so we, we made some changes. Uh, Sharp comes on, McBurney comes on. There was a bit more uh, a bit more momentum around us. I'm not sure we... I don't know, I didn't, I didn't really feel like we had more control of the game. Is that, is that fair? I feel like we went longer more. I was looking, when did... So when did McBurney come on? Uh, do you know that off the top of your head? Uh, I'll have it here. Uh, I'll McBurney... It wasn't half-time, was it? Come on. No... Yeah, oh, I was telling me the wrong information. I think it was like 65, wasn't it? 55? I'll have it here. Sorry, this is rubbish podcast content. Apologies, everyone, but <laughs> I do want to get this right. Uh, 54th minute, he came on. So, so he was on the pitch for 35 minutes. He competed for 12 aerial duels, which is almost twice as many as the next highest player. Um, and he was only on for, yeah... 35 minutes plus injury time which suggested to me looking at that that we went more direct um he won i think won seven of those 12 aerial deals which is is uh, sorry won five out of the 12 which is is okay i think it's not it's not great obviously but that is that's a fairly a fairly standard rate for a, a target man who's getting hit a lot i suppose um yeah do, do you feel like we had more control or we just sort of went a bit more like a bit more aggressive a bit more you know get the ball forward more quickly that kind of thing how did you see it um, yeah, it's an interesting. I kind of agree with control, definitely. I mean, so in the in terms of long passes, so in the first half we attempted thirty nine long passes, made sixteen. So mm. yeah, okay, about you know just just under fifty percent. That's not that bad. In the second half we attempted thirty six and eighteen. So I actually think it's kind of to my eye test what I thought was the case was actually we just put a hell of a lot more crosses in the box in the, the second half. Mm. Because we were able to play, we were able to play a lot higher because we were more on the front foot. We 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 pressed higher, played higher up, got more territory, if not good possession, um, and that allowed the the fullbacks, especially George, to get wide right and put a lot more crosses in the box, which is eventually where the goal came from. Yeah, I mean, if you if you just look at the crosses themselves, so in the first half we attempted eleven crosses, only two were accurate. In the second half we attempted twenty one crosses. I'm just looking at that now. Yeah, have you seen the location of them all as well? We had. So from, yes, we had. So of those twenty-one crosses, eighteen came from the right-hand side, correct. And, and, uh, and one of the left-hand side one was a corner. Yep. <laughs> That's. Uh, uh, so, I mean, what, what's the answer there? Because I, I thought this was uh, Stevens was pretty absent in this game. Do you think that was? Um, do you think that was a deliberate ploy to get on the right, or is it just that Pereira is really good on the as the right back for Leicester? No, it was all Pereira. Right. It was all. So if you look at the average map, average position map. 
Um, what you'll see is normally Ender Stevens is probably our most advanced player. Mm. Um, I know George has been playing high and wide this season, but season, you know, Stevens. I think I showed in my article recently. He's ended up in the penalty box or playing centre forward quite a lot in the first two games. Whereas on Saturday, Ricardo for Leicester was was as high as James um, Yuriti Elmans in their midfield in terms of where he played. Mm. So Ricardo pushed on. I know he sat in a lot of the second half, but every time they counted, if you look where they counted, they, they tended to go down the right, even though Madison himself just left it. The, the pace and the power for Leicester is down the right with Ricardo and Perez. Um, and, and that's where Ender got pushed back. And I also don't think that he was helped much by, and I do love him, and I do hope he gets an England call-up soon, but I don't think he was helped by Jack, who I felt was a little bit within himself. Hmm. Um, d- d- just didn't, I felt that about the whole lot, actually, to be honest. It, you know, it's not a criticism. It, our game is probably more influenced by heat and nerves than any other because our players are expected to do an awful lot of running. Hmm. I think it's fair to say we don't have these stats, but just to the eye test to me, Sheffield United cover a lot more ground than many other teams we play because of the pole centre-back bombing on thing. But we didn't quite... Everything seemed a bit slow, didn't it? Yeah, you know, I mean, whenever, Wilder definitely mentioned that in his post-match stuff as well, particularly the first half, which, again, we can talk about in more detail. Um, yeah, it was just whenever you saw kind of George get the ball out wide, he was supported by Lundstrom, but then yeah. it all petered out because Leicester managed to get the overload themselves. They had three bodies against two because Bash yeah. weren't quite... Same down the left, you know. All right, Ricardo's intense, he's fast and he's strong, he's a very good player, but he was snapping in. Um, and they were getting Chowdhury across there as well, who was magnificent, by the way. But he just Jack just wasn't there on the overlap. And I, I understand that we, we have to strike a very fine balance, but I didn't feel like in that first half, especially, that we were quite there. Mm. And I, I think uh, I think Leicester are one of the worst teams to play against when you're a goal behind already as well. They, I mean, they, have, they are very smart, aren't they? They have a very smart game plan. I mean, you could just see the, the amount of times that one of their centre-halves just basically just stood on the ball on the edge of the, their penalty area and was like... This is going nowhere until you come out to try and press for it. We're winning. You know, we, we want you to come out and then we're going. I mean, there was a couple of times in the second half, we had a corner and then five seconds later, they've got a corner because they've suddenly sprung all the way down the pitch and basically had a good chance that was yep. blocked or had a shot or something. And yeah, it was it was like, oh, these, these guys, they want us to attack. That's what they want us to do. They want us to commit all these players forward. So, I mean, that, that worried me beforehand. I mean, <laughs> me and... Uh, me and me and Roy slash Andrew, we've definitely talked about how basically every team outside of Liverpool and Man City in this league is is like a counter attacking team. Well, that seems to be the label that uh, you know gets gets applied to a lot of them. But I think Leicester are probably one of, if not the best, at it. I reckon. I mean, they have the personnel for it, the style for it, and the just the discipline for it as well. I think sort of tactically and uh, mental wise. Yeah, I mean, this is a side that won a Premier League title based on counter attacking. Yes, exactly. You know. They're morphing into a more possession-based side with the types of Madison, T. Elmans, uh, Dennis Pryor, who they've signed. Mm. But at their core, they still have raw pace and ability to play vertically. You know, people sometimes don't like geeky football terms, but the ability to pass forwards and straight is something that sounds easy, but is not easy to do because normally people block it. Yeah. And Leicester are extremely good at it. So there is a fine balance to be struck. But I think we showed in the second half, we didn't need to show as much respect as we did. Mm. There is a way of playing high. There is a way of committing men, and and there is a way of dominating the territory and pushing the opposition back without leaving too much space open at the back. Yeah, you're gonna have to deal with it, the odd bits, but well, yeah, you're gonna have to deal with it. Our only way of scoring goals and creating chances is, is to do our committed forward players. We're not, you know, we're not Norwich in terms of they can play maybe with less players forward because of their technical level. Mm. I, I'm not saying they're loads better than us. I'm just saying 
they have different players. Yeah. Villa are the same. You know, McGinn, Grealish, they're all individual players who can do things. Ours require a, a bit of a pattern. So I don't think there's any harm in doing what we did in that second half. And I think the XG timeline, you know, you see these graphs that show all the chances going up. And, and the second half, we completely dominated. And actually, if that game goes on for another five, ten minutes, we'd probably score again. I they think were hang- so. Yeah, that, that was the kind of impression I got as well. I just sort of ran out of time a little bit, rather than rather than running out of steam, which is something that uh, we've seen in the past, I suppose. Um, yeah, the goal itself came from uh, a good sort of recycled ball on the edge of their box. Norwood switches it out to Baldock, who crosses from not not an amazing area. It's kind of that that sort of uh, from from sort of deep of the penalty box, but then. What a header from McBurney. I think you, you tweeted about this as well, but we don't want to underestimate just what a yeah. great header that is, as you say, to to flick it into the corner of the net. The, the thing I really liked about this, though, and this kind of speaks to what you were just talking about there, is I think there's three players chucking themselves at the ball. Freeman, like, That's right. yeah. Freeman's made a run and he ends up going underneath the ball and then Sharp's just behind McBurney. And it, we're basically muscled it into the net. It's like if you know if one of them, if uh, McBurney's not getting it, one of the other two possibly is. So I did, I really liked that, and it it felt yeah at that point it did feel like the goal had been coming. But great for McBurney to get off the mark as well, and uh, I, I would expect he'll be starting a lot of games from from here on out. I would have thought. Do you reckon that's fair? Oh yeah, yeah. I I I, I, I mean. I wondered if he was going to start against Leicester on Saturday. I did feel yeah. they were going to press as high, and I wondered if, if going, you know, going a bit more direct, which I have no issue with whatsoever, um, as long as it's done in the right right times, you know, is an option. Mm. And I think, you know, may, maybe it was on Saturday. I think, you know, I like Robinson a lot. I'm, I'm so glad we've signed him. I think he'll be a good player. I still think McGoldrick's a very good player, but they weren't they weren't at it on Saturday. Um, it, it just wasn't their game uh, at all in terms of just what they were being asked to do. There was a lot of balls played up to them when we were under pressure. Then there was a lot of times that it, it just needed a bit of a penalty box predator and they weren't quite in the box. Mm. And I, I found that against Palace as well at times. You know, a ball would come in from the right or left and perhaps it's new players crossing a little bit earlier than normally we do. It's the whole thing that we spoke about maybe two years ago. Fans want us to whip it in the box and we're saying, no, we work at the right angles. Mm. Um, sometimes players come into that system and, and maybe aren't quite there yet. So they're whipping balls in, but no one's in the box. If we don't have a sharp or a McBurney on, but you put a McBurney on and a sharp on, and then yeah, you can just load the box. You know there is no wrong harming with crossing if you've got four players in the penalty area. It's it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know it's a fair tactic and uh, it, it clearly worked. He, he he's just a nuisance, isn't he? I've not seen a centre half handle him yet. No, and he, I mean we've already seen flashes of it, but he's good on the ball as well, which we knew beforehand. You know before he signed, um, but yeah, he looks like. I mean, it just looks like a complete forward, I guess. So it's, yeah, I'm, I was excited when we signed him. Nothing that I've seen uh, in his three appearances has uh, has lessened that excitement. If anything, it's it's probably gone up a notch as well. And yeah, I think he's uh, I think he's going to score plenty of goals for us, which is uh, just just what we need, really. I mean, ten goals, he scores ten goals and keeps us up, then that is more than worth you know whatever that final fee is that goes to Swansea. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I just want to say as well, I, I thought Billy was very good as well. Hmm. He was, I did. He, was I, he was involved, which is yeah, not exactly. always the case in a, in a cameo appearance. No, exactly. He wasn't good from a goal-scoring perspective, but just just running channels, you know, getting to balls and keeping them pinned in the, the areas, just using his, you know, his back to goal and that little bit of plays brought on in the last few years. I thought that was really good and called for as well. Yeah. There wasn't enough of that from Robinson and McGoldrick. There wasn't enough just pinning Leicester centre-halves out wide to the dragging them out and just creating gaps for other people to run into. That type of thing goes unnoticed, but very important if you're trying to pull a defence apart because they're sitting deep. 
Well, definitely. Yeah, so he came on the 54th minute as well. Um, attempted 17 passes, which is, you know, I, I, rec- I reckon he probably played games last season where he didn't have many more than that and he played, you know, 80, 90 minutes. But it's, it's also where those passes were. They, You know, they're not just sort of in the penalty area. They're out wide left, out wide right. He created yeah. the chance for Lundstrom, which uh, we'll talk about in a sec as well. So, yeah, it, it was. It was good. It was not only like a... Um, uh, a, a mental lift, I think, for the crowd. But um, you know, he did a, he did a, a good impact, I think. But yeah, I just noticed as well. Actually, thirteen passes of those seventeen were in the final third as well, which is yeah, pretty, pretty decent. It shows he was able to get on the ball and uh, yeah, try and try and keep attacks going or or start attacks. Um, yeah, Leicester unfortunately took the lead again, which is a bit of a <clears throat> I don't know. I don't want to say out the blue, but it was kind of just a bit shocking, I suppose, just how good a strike it was. Um, so it comes comes from a recycled corner. Uh, the centre half, who I can't remember his name now, uh, the Turkish centre half, whose name I've oh, yeah. perfectly pronounced on the previous podcast, but I've forgotten what it actually was. Um, <laughs> heads it out to Barnes, who just smashes a volley from the edge of the air, and it's just like, oh, that's. If you ever want to write that narrative of like, that's the difference of uh, Premier League to Championship. I mean. There it is right there. Harvey Barnes in front of the H.E. Barnes stand, I should point out. I mean, we very generously named a stand after him before he'd scored in front of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, I don't know. It, it was a, a bit of a kick in the teeth, I think. It was a sickness. But let's be clear, those goals are sickness because you can't really be that angry about it. It was that good. Mm. It's one of them where, you know, you just sometimes get angry. You might give a bit of abuse or a bit of verbal to the player who scored. And this day, and everyone just sat down and was like, ah. Oh. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> uh, uh, that's flew in the top bin, hasn't it? Yeah, and- it, it's, it's so odd. I'd love to see, uh, you know, the the MPH or somebody to track that shot because I mean Henderson. I don't think he can move before it's past him. Essentially, it's just an absolute rocket. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's you know, again, XG models vary, but under start zero point zero three. So that's a three percent chance that that ball goes in from there. If you yeah. take into consideration how it lands at him from the angle and the distance, that's just. You can't legislate. You just you, you can't legislate. No. The fact we played a side there who are probably looking to break into the top six, but will be minimum top eight. And between the difference of us was one worldy. Yeah, I That's- mean, I, ge- I guess if you want to be super critical, you could say why is nobody on Barnes? I mean, it's a re- it's a recycled corner, isn't it? So we're still sort of shaping up a little bit. And there isn't anyone near him. So, I mean, that's something you could say, like, well, why is nobody on the edge of the area? But I guess we're all in sort of defending the cross. But I think, I don't know, I feel like I've seen us concede goals from those kinds of situations before where it's like we haven't quite recovered our shape from a corner. So, I mean, that's the only criticism I I think I I would say about it. I mean, there is is something here that I, do you know, I, I didn't notice this at the time. I didn't really pick it up on the highlights. And it's only since you know looking on twitter and stuff but this foul on egan in the build-up um yeah. where the defender climbs on his back oh, i don't know mate i mean it, it probably is a foul i'm sure anyone listening to this will, will be like how can you say it's only probably a foul it's definitely a foul but i don't know and then obviously so var reviews every single goal that is the thing that happens in the premier league they check every single goal for a mistake uh, they obviously felt that was not a mistake, and I have to say I agree with them. I don't think that's I don't think that's so obviously a foul that you should disallow it. Have I gone completely gaga there, or, or do you agree with that? No, I mean it's really hard to know what what the hell VAR is supposed to work like, isn't it? It's I, I don't think none of us know. They've they've had to give journalists and and managers and coaches workshops to explain what they're doing. 
yeah. which we're not entitled to. But, I, you know, I believe from all the reading I've done, from all the people who kind of know when you hear, you hear this term high bar, which means they don't want the referee to have to go to that monitor at all. Mm-hmm. They, they don't want him to have to run to the side of pitch like you saw in the World Cup and, and look at a screen because they feel it takes too long, puts too much pressure on the ref, and it all becomes a circus. So, in, ev- in, in essence, VAR will only rule something out if it is, I hate these words, but clear and obvious. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't. That, the phrase. That, that wasn't. Sorry, go on. That wasn't, yeah, okay. Um, that um, wasn't clear enough to me. Yeah, the phrase that they used is. Uh, no, I've completely forgot what the phrase was. <laughs> they wanted it to basically not disrupt. Um, they wanted That's to, it. yeah, not disrupt the play too much, I guess. I mean, yeah, it is only if there's like a major mistake. And I, I don't know if you watched um, uh, yesterday's Premier League games, but. Uh, there was a VAR check on a foul on David Silver in the box for Man City. There was a VAR check on a foul yep. on a... I can't even call it a tackle, really. On Harry, <laughs> on Harry Kane. Uh, both instances, I thought, were a foul in real time. I certainly thought they were both a foul, having watched the replay. And they stuck with the original decision, which was no obvious mistake has been made, which is kind of surprising to me. However, if those are not getting overturned, there's absolutely no way that is a foul on John Egan. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of this thing, and we all sort of worry that VAR is just going to disallow so many goals. And I think that's another one where, yeah, I think if that's getting disallowed in, in a non-United game for that foul, if you like, on Egan then you're probably looking at it going, what's even the point? You know, just you, there's going to be a foul in the build-up to every goal. So uh, I guess what I'm saying is I think it probably was a foul. Ultimately, I'm fine with it not being given as a foul. I think worse things get missed and, yeah, whatever. I don't know. Nothing nothing to lose sleep over for me personally. I'm sure that will send some United fans up in arms. But, yeah, I, I think that's a major clutching at straws if we're looking at that going should definitely be ruled out. I'm not angry. I'm. I'm not. I'm just not angry. Like if it would have been given, great. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't. Move on. Yeah. Be, what will be worse is if the same happens to us. We score and it gets given. Yeah. That, that will be a sickness, and no doubt that will happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we will. We'll wait to see if that does happen, rather than uh, creating that straw man argument just yet. I suppose. I, I'm always a bit wary of like, you know, going into that uh, like, oh, VAR is just going to be against the so-called smaller teams, if you like. I mean, I haven't, I don't know. I don't feel like we've been on the, the bad end of decisions so far. No. I mean, there's definitely ones you can point to and say like, okay, that, that could have gone differently. But yeah, as we just talked about, Premier League are trying not to overturn decisions unless it's super obvious that a real catastrophic error has been made. And I don't think that falls into that category. So, and that's good. No. I'm, I'm good with that. I don't want every cross into the box being a foul on the defender or the goalkeeper. I want to see goals. And all right, I don't want to see goals in Arnett, but... Ultimately, you know, I enjoy watching football. I don't want it to be stopped every time somebody makes a physical challenge. So yeah. that's good. Done. Talking about that. Harvey Barnes is extremely good. Uh, I'm extremely annoyed that he was on loan at a championship team that we were competing with last season. Same also <laughs> applies for Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount, Harry Wilson. What the hell were these players doing in the championship last season? It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and we didn't have any and still got promoted. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Same with Norwich as well. Um, yeah, exactly. Right, and then, uh, yeah, we, we only really, I think, had one other good chance, which um, again came from across. Uh, Sharp heads it back across, and Lundstrom, close range, getting into the box. He is a, a man that gets into the box from midfield. Hits a good volley. Schmeichel makes an excellent save from close range, um, pushes it wide. The flag goes up afterwards, um, which is for, I assume, unless the linesman has made a 
an absolute howler. I assume it's for McBurney being in an offside position, which he was. Um, and he has said, uh, he should, in my opinion, he is going to be obstructing the view of the goalkeeper and should be offside as interfering with play. Now, uh, this this is we don't have to spend too long on this because it, it didn't actually happen. But if Lundstrom hits the back of the net here and the flag goes up, I'm not sure. I think VAR gives the goal, you know, because I don't think that McBurney is actually uh, interfering with play. Um, Schmeichel has a perfect view. You've got like uh, left to right, if you like, you've got Lundstrom, the ball, Schmeichel, and then you've got McBurney in an offside position, but to the goalkeeper's right. So Schmeichel ends up diving sort of past McBurney, if you like, but he sees the ball the whole way. I don't think McBurney ever obstructs his eye line and, you know, he doesn't make like a, a motion to flick the ball in or anything like that. So, yeah, that that would have been interesting. I think Lundstrom, you know, probably should have scored, to be honest. It was a very uh, a high XG chance, a, a decent strike on the volley um, and a very good save. But, yeah, do, do you agree with that? Do you think that, that might have stood if uh, if it had gone in? I think so, but I have no idea. Yeah, I guess we will. We'll never know, will we? But uh, yeah, so uh, and that you should be pointed out that's a uh, that's factored in to, in as a chance for a lot of these stat companies. So InfoGoal and Understat certainly count that as a stat when technically um, uh, it would have been ruled out. So yeah, to take uh, take United's XG total with a with a pinch of salt. I suppose it should be a bit lower than uh, than it should, or maybe it shouldn't. If the goal would have stood, who knows? Um, one other chance, we had a free kick on the edge of the area uh, very late on. Uh, and unfortunately, Chowdhury's massive barnet got in the way of it and flicked it away. Um, which It looked like it was quite a good strike, actually. But yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and that was that. Um, I don't feel like... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I agree with you that I think if we'd gone another 10 minutes, maybe we would have uh, been able to snatch another goal ourselves. But it's strange. You know, we lost this game and I-, I kind of had to remind myself the next day that we'd actually lost. Not that I was like over yeah. the moon or anything, but... I was like, it was a good performance, you know. I felt felt pretty good about it afterwards. You know, I think that was reflected with the the general crowd reaction, you know, stand innovation and stuff. You know, we tried hard, didn't we? Against, I think most people, you know, it's not Little Leicester. I mean, they won the blooming Premier League a few years ago, as you said, and they, uh, yeah, I I very strongly believe that they will be pushing for that top six if they don't, if they actually don't make it. So, yeah, I think there was, um, I think there was acknowledgement that that was. Uh, no shame in losing that one, even though it was frustrating to do so. Do you reckon that's fair? Ah, hundred percent, and and so it should be. You know, mm. we've got no, we've got no right to think we beat Leicester at home. Um, you know, and we're not going to win every home game this year. And and I've not seen any outcries. It's brilliant. I've not seen any even half negativity. But you know, we all need to be aware that there's going to be times this season where we lose two, three in a row, mm-hmm. uh, and that's fine. That is absolutely fine as long as we're picking up points where we can and and, and where we will. And I think we've been fine. I, I, you know, I was listening to uh, the BBC Monday Night Club, their podcast, Rory Smith uh, and Ian Wright were was, was saying that, and I quite agree with them, that they actually for, for the first time in a long time, they feel as though the first, the, the three promoter teams coming up are extremely comfortable at this mm. level. Um, we are on a par with the teams who you would expect to be at the bottom. There might be a slight difference in, in the odd bit of quality or the odd bit of defending. You know, when you look at Newcastle getting three away at Tottenham, that's that's an outlier, if we're being honest. Um, but it, other than that, there isn't much between us. And I think that's been shown. We've, we've gone to Bournemouth, who were expected to finish comfortably in mid-table. Normally, you would say, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, battled well there. One got a point. Arguably, we're as equal, if not better. Palace, we were much the better side. Mm. And against Leicester, it was very, very even. Um, you know, a mistake and a worldy. So... And we didn't play as well either. That, you know, that's the thing. It, that's probably that is the again that is the mine and, and clearly Wilder's frustration was the fact that 
we've come up against the best side we'll, we've come up against so far yeah. and just didn't quite do what we, we can do well. I mean, you look through the midfields, it, it's not, this is, I hate, you know, you know me, I hate pass percentage completion stats. They mean nothing because of what types of passes are they offering, but Norwood only 71%, only hit 50% of his forward passes accurate. Mm. That's not at all. Uh, Lundstrom hit 83.6%, um, but I didn't think was good enough at all. Mm. You know, it did arrive in the box and that is good. It's good to see him doing that. I don't care if he missed. That's a good sign that John Lundstrom's getting on the end of things in the box because that's, that's a good addition to his game, but... I don't think he was great. When he got pinned down in wide areas with the ball, he tended to come backwards a lot. Yeah. Uh, and it stopped the momentum of the game. I'm, I'm not getting to lunch from Hayton. He's, he's clearly been our best player, probably. Mm. Um, you know, but it's, it's just fact. I, I did th- I did think the standout for us in midfield was I thought Luke Freeman was very good again. Yeah. I think he's do... very good. <laughs> he's just a very good player. And I really like him. There's a couple of times he played passes that, you know, on another day and with a slight bit more accuracy, he sets Robinson away in the first half, I think, when we counted. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and he's done that already against Palace and Robertson kind of fluffed his shot over the bar. It was was tough shot, but that looks as though that's a forming little relationship whenever we go in transition, which is an addition to our game we don't have. We don't have a counter-attacking threat, so that's good. But just in the second half, whenever he drove at anyone, he looked really scary on the ball for him and opposition don't like going near him because he can skip by you. Yeah. So I think I think there's a lot of positives. I'm certainly not in any way downbeat. It's just we all know what's coming next. And it's I, I'd argue Leicester at home is tougher than Chelsea away. I might be wrong. I'm sort of with you. I feel we. I would, yeah, we'll talk about Chelsea a, a bit more in a bit. But I, I sort of feel like we could get something out of that. Um, I'm not totally convinced by Chelsea um, so far. I mean, I talked to uh, Ram Srinivas, who we all know from from Twitter. Um, I talked to him earlier, and that'll be at the end of this podcast. And he is uh, he is wary. He is very wary of the threat of United um, going into this game. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that one goes. Um, just quickly on Lundstrom. Uh, how how surprised were you to see him start these? If, if yeah, if, if I could go back three weeks and tell you he's going to start our first three games of the Premier League, what would have been your reaction? That you're probably bonkers. <laughs> that you haven't. Well, no, seriously, that you haven't watched us for the last two years. Mm. So, because so why what, do you think? It, why do you think he started, and why do you think he's been good? Because I mean, let's be right. Me and you were always. <laughs> I guess we were probably. On the slightly more uh, positive take on Lundstrom, I think we, we, you know, we fully acknowledge his limitations uh, in the previous yeah. two seasons. But we're like, he's all right, you know, he's fine. He's a fair, d- decent Championship player. But these, the two, certainly the first two performances, and uh, you know, it wasn't terrible by any stretch on Saturday. Uh, that, that's far, far away from what we saw from him the previous two years. So, I mean, what do you think that? What do you put that down to? I mean, I was told in pre-season that he was working exceptionally hard that he was fitter faster stronger and that he looked better on the ball he looked confident mm. and I think a lot of that is to do with fantastic man management because let's be honest at other clubs Lundstrom might well have gone out the back door by now yeah no we you talked know, about that already like, yeah. yeah he could have easily had a loan but just brilliant management they've always backed him they've always given him confidence but I also think tactically the move without Mark Duffy um, and I'm not getting into that but without Duffers without playing that number 10 specifically Freeman can do it but he's He's obviously had to take up Flex role because mm. Flex injury, which has probably helped. I would argue it's probably helped Lundstrom in a way. I know he started already, but Flex going off, that's forced Freeman to play and, and stick with this middle three without going to a 10. Mm. It's, it, it's meant we need an extra midfielder. It's meant we need an extra midfielder of different assets as well. So Luke Freeman's the technical player. Um, yes, he's attacking, but he, he's more of a mobile, agile type technical player. We know what Norwood does. 
So we needed a box-to-box physical presence, didn't we? Yeah. And if you're honest, look at his stature, look at the way he plays. That that is a John Lundstrom role. He's just he's been allowed to be very effective because he's he's basically worked his balls to the wall. He's clearly got himself very fit. He's technically always been a good player. He's always had a good passing range. But what yeah. he's doing better than ever is he's getting into areas that matter. So he's you know his passing range to them two passes to McGoldrick at Bournemouth that didn't surprise me. Yeah. John Lundstrom has always had a great long range pass. Sometimes he puts one on his left foot and pings it diagonal, and you think. Well, you shouldn't be allowed to do that if you're right-footed. You know, that, that, that's a high standard, technically. But then to arrive in the box against Palace, to arrive in the box against Leicester, these are the things that I we were saying a long time ago. He needs to carve out a role for himself in this team. Mm. He was, was What was he? Was he a sitting midfielder? Is he an attacking midfielder? Is he box-to-box? I didn't know. And now he's carved out a role. I think there's no one else in the squad that does that role. So well done to him. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love it. It's the, the rise of Lundstrom has been, uh, it's been very satisfying. I, I did have a... Yes, slightly a few thoughts during the game that it was like maybe this was a game too far for him in terms of like what we're asking him to do. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't feel like we had an obvious uh, replacement for him at that point. I mean, obviously Besic has come in and um, he's still getting I think, speed. I think Besic should be the interesting one because I think Besic is the one who does that role. Yeah. So nominally at Everton, he was played as a six, but we went, when he went to Borough, although they're quite defensive and he was asked to do defensive work, he actually moved forward and played a bit more of that that new number eight they talk about, which is the kind of box-to-box one. Yeah. And he's good at it. He's really good at it. He's aggressive. He's mobile. He's tenacious. He's great in the tackle. He's good at forward passing. Not much of a goal scorer, but then neither was Lunny before this season. So it's, you know, that, that, that is an interesting one to watch, especially if he'll probably play against Blackburn, you would assume, right? It's Yeah, I think almost certainly, yeah. I think, uh, I think that's I, been said. And I think it's been interesting as well. Rav came on, I know it was a system change, Rav came on for Basham, mm. but people got this impression that Rav's a number 10, whereas his best football, which it was, was at West Ham, yeah, it was as a number eight. It was mm. a central midfielder in a three. Now, they played 4-3-3. Three, three. That doesn't matter. It was a three, and Rav plays in a three. So, there, he's another one who, in certain games, when the, you know, when the position dictates, you might want more of the ball. Rav's certainly a candidate to play on that right side of a three as well. So, there's options, isn't there? There's a lot of options. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... Possibly, I've talked about this on the last pod, I can't remember, but um, I imagine the team will look very different in, say, October than it does right now. I think there'll be a lot of a lot of different names in it, just as that's just how it tends to go with Wilder. I think, in it, you know, we get these players kind of integrated over a, a slightly longer period of time. And, yeah, the team at the start of the season often looks very, very different to one seven or eight games in. So, yeah, that yeah. might well be one of them. Um, I just want to quickly talk about Wilder's... Uh, post-match comments, <laughs> obviously from your reaction, you saw these. So, uh, just, go on, sorry, what? Just, just loving the reaction from media, like they're so shocked by Chris well, Wilder and his brutal honesty. Well, that's <laughs> it. Yeah, him. I mean, I had that in my. Um, so, one of the the Guardian fan network things that I was asked to do before the season, they asked to give a prediction of like who's gonna who's gonna make the headlines for your team, as in like who's gonna get a lot of media attention. Um, and you know, at that point, we didn't. I don't think we, and I still don't think we have any sort of like bad boys, if you like, who are going to get. In, you know, we don't have a James Madison or a Jamie Vardy, that kind of thing. Um, and so I said, Wilder, I said, um, I think his his brutal honesty uh, will shock quite a few neutrals. I mean, they cut this bit out, but um, I was basically saying he, he's not afraid to 
basically call out players if he, he doesn't feel they've performed at the standard he wants them to perform. And that's essentially what happened here. I mean, just to quickly run through his quotes in case um, people haven't seen it. So uh, he thought we gave the ball away much too cheaply, particularly in the first half. Said it was frightening how cheaply we gave it away. Uh, I was disappointed at the level of performance. Said, I, I don't think we deserved anything from this game. Uh, I'm not going to credit the players just because they run around. That's a normal thing they have to do. And if they don't, they won't play. He also said, uh, we've lost the game in our changing room, which I thought implied a sort of uh, a lack of bravery uh, you know, or too much respect, I guess, for uh, for Leicester. Um, he said, uh, you know, the reason we gave the ball away wasn't anything to do tactically or the pressure they put on us. We gave the ball away, no pressure. It's not like us. We didn't play quick enough. And um, yeah, I think particularly that, that thing, I'm not going to credit the players just because they run around. That was in response to... Um, uh, it was a question basically saying, you know, the, the players got to stand innovation today. You know, the fans appreciate the effort they put in. And that was his reaction to it. And, and yeah, this is another classic. Now we're in the Premier League, you know, t- uh, the media and the fans of other teams react quite differently or more extreme reactions, I suppose. Because, yeah, there was a lot of like, oh, you know, Wilder's lost the plot. He's having a go at the fans. And I was like, does this probably like two or three times a season? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. completely not out of the ordinary at all. Um Sorry, it's almost commonplace, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I pretty much expect that to be honest, and I think that's great. I, I don't, I can't understand a fan of like, I don't know, Manu or Arsenal or someone like that coming and being like, oh, this is disgraceful, like that he's just you know giving it back to the fans or chucking the players under the bus. I'm like, no, this is the foundation of everything great that's happened in the last three and a bit years. Like, I absolutely yeah. want this. I mean, it's we've talked about it before, you and I, like. It's so refreshing having a manager who has higher standards than a lot of the fans. And yeah, I mean, I gave the players a stand innovation on Saturday. I, I definitely thought they could have played better. As I said, that was probably our, our least good performance of the season, if you don't want to use the word worse. But yeah, I appreciate the effort. But yeah, I, I absolutely love that he expects effort as the absolute minimum. And if you if you don't put that in, you're not going to play, no matter how good you are, no matter you know how many tens of millions we've, we've paid for you. That's not to... You know, say that anybody who's signings are not putting in the effort, but yeah, I, I don't know. Well, how did you react to uh, to this? Because I was like, I, I didn't even react at all until I saw the reaction. I suppose. So it's it's part of a bigger context for me that that I've well, you and I and other prominent people have probably been fighting all summer, and for the first two games, which is this plucky old little Sheffield United syndrome. <laughs> it, it really is. It's you know, it's you cannot pigeonhole Chris Wilder's Sheffield United team and say you played well against Leicester who were a very good side um, you know you did well you only just lost players ran a lot you, you really ended the game well you know you looked quite dangerous towards the end of the game you know well done to the lads no <laughs> we shouldn't have been in that position in the first place because the first half wasn't it wasn't good enough you know mm. there won't be many first we're not a high shot volume team we're not so it's no point looking at a shot start because we we we're happy to create the one as long as it's a good one. But yeah. we only had one shot on target. We only had, you know, 194 passes to Leicester's 276. This is a home game for Sheffield United, by the way. We only made 71% of our passes in that first half. Mm-hmm. We only played 11 crosses and two were accurate. Yeah. That's, you know, this is not, all, I mean, we won more duels, won more tackles, but you, that is the minimum. I agree with Wilder. That is the minimum. This Sheffield United team, to stay in this league, we know we're not on the same technical or quality level as others around us. We need to do more. It, you, we, we're not going to stay up by working hard. It didn't work for Cardiff. It, it ran out for Huddersfield quickly. Hmm. Could argue it's worked for Burnley for years, but they have a really different method to everyone else. Yeah. Generally, this doesn't work. You either go down first season or second season if you're just a work-hard team. We need to do more. Yeah. Um, and our quality players, the ones like a Norwood... 
like a Stevens, the centre-backs bombing on. They need to continue to do more. It's a tough ask, but that's the point of being in the Premier League. And that that is Chris Wilder in a nutshell. He will not settle for standard. Yeah. And if you don't want to go with that, you won't be here for the ride in the long term. Yeah. No, I love it. Won't. That's what you want, isn't it, as a fan? That's what we've been crying out for. No excuses. Not, I mean, that was part, part of me thought, like, people might just be shocked that, um, you know, Wilder isn't Warnock and isn't automatically blaming the referee for every defeat. Um, but that's, you know, that that I, that embarrassed me that Warnock did that. I, and, you know, it, it, it sort of embarrasses me when I see, like, you know, Sean Dyche's comments after they lost to uh, Arsenal as well, just randomly going on a rant about diving in the Premier League. Like, yeah. I want a manager that takes responsibility, or at least, you know, OK, he's not taking responsibility, but it's like, he's it, it, keeping resp- responsibility in-house. It's like things that we can control were not up to Absolutely. the standard, and that's why we lost, and... If I can't get that up to up to the standard I want, then these players are going to go, and some other players are going to come in instead. And yeah, I, I like that. I'll always like that. That after you know several years of terrible managers for United, this is uh, this is just like give me more, basically. So yeah, yeah. And what and what I don't get from that reaction from from the wider world, not that anyone's criticised it, but just the the topic of conversation basically is from the surprise is well, he's right because in the second half we did everything a lot better. Yeah. Whether you like stats or not, we we had so in the first half we only had forty two percent of the ball. In the second half we had fifty seven percent of the ball. Mm-hmm. In the first half we had three shots. In the second half we had five. We had two on target, which is not a lot, but obviously we've spoken about we look for quality. We had we created one big chance, three shots inside the box. We outpassed Leicester. The accuracy went up. We put in more crosses, and the accuracy of that went up. We won more tackle. It just he's right. He's right on every level. The game plan that was set. For whatever reason, the players didn't execute. And it goes back to what I said, you know, the effort and endeavour was there. I hate that word, Nigel Atkins. <laughs> but the execution wasn't right. And and the one thing that we've had under Wilder for a long time now is, is not just effort. We've had execution. We've had moments of sheer quality that we can all think of straight off the top of the head. Mm. Um, and there wasn't much in that game other than the goal. So he's absolutely right. And he's absolutely right to call that. Yep, completely agree. All right, moving on then. Uh, so yeah, first first defeat of the season. I can tell you right now, it will not be our last defeat of the season. I mean, as I've said many times, if we uh, if we stay up, we probably will still lose somewhere between like sixteen and eighteen games. I think so. Yeah, don't uh, don't get de- too downhearted about that one. Certainly, um, we've got Blackburn tonight in the cup. Uh, as you mentioned, um, to be honest, this is very low priority for me. Uh, this, this is one of them where it's like, I hope we win. It'd be nice to go on a little cup run. And obviously we play uh, eight fewer league games this season as well. So there's a bit less kind of yeah. demand on the squad. Um, are you are you, are you not intrigued though, just because it's the fringe players? And actually this year we have a lot of fascinating fringe players. Yeah, intrigued is a good word. Like I, I hope we, yeah, I hope, you know, Moussa, I wanted to see him start. Morrison, I expect probably will start. Besic possibly start as well. Um, I hope they start. I hope they, do, I hope they do well. I hope they win. I hope we have a good cup run. But, uh, you know, I, I hope, yeah, I hope it's, to me, this is more like uh, go out and show why you should be starting at Chelsea That's... on Saturday or in, a, in the next home game. That's what I'm intrigued about. Blackburn have had a, I buy quite tipped up Blackburn as far as they've been quite poor. They're, they're quite a pragmatic at best side at the minute. And it sounds like uh, they're going to rest some players as well from uh, Mowbray's comments. So I would imagine so. Yeah, yeah, because they don't have a deep squad at all. Um, and I just think it's a game where you know if I'm if I'm Rav Morrison, uh, Mooset, Bessic, you know, go and shine because all right off the back of a Leicester game, that you know no one's overreacting. But there's places up for grabs, like Absolutely. you said. You know, 
we're three games in, we've just lost this first game in not a great but not bad performance. If you go and shine and show what you can do, you know, who knows? Uh, at the very least, you're probably on the bench getting some minutes against Chelsea. So it's uh, it's an inter- it's an intriguing one for that because normally our sides recently in the Cup have just been, and this is not to discredit them, but a bunch of fringe players that I don't think there's been much interest in because they were never going to go in the first team, were they? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, I would imagine whatever side we put out is going to be, I would say it's probably uh, it would probably be an upper championship side. I think yeah. that's fair, right? Yeah, particularly if you've got those three I mentioned, Musa, Morrison and uh, and Besic playing. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, you have that thing, don't you, that we saw again, the extreme against Barnet of like, what was it? I think it was 10 changes or 10 non-first-teamers and it was just like an absolute mess. And it's like, yes, yeah. all these players are much better than National League level, but we made so many changes that it's like an absolute mishmash. And so there's always a danger of that happening, I suppose. But I think, what... I think I think players like Robinson need to play, you know, confidence, mm. try and get a goal. Uh, you know, and minutes as well, just more minutes in a blade shirt. All the new signings probably do need minutes right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, more than anything, it, it's a good time to, to build that up. It's the start of the season, they're building up the fitness, they're building up their understanding of each other. So, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think McBurney will not be involved. That's what I'm interested to see if he is involved because, yeah, uh, if he is not, then that to me says he's starting on Saturday against Chelsea, which I, I, would- I definitely want to see. Um, yeah, let, let's turn to that one quickly then. So, uh, any, I mean, you, you agree with me there on McBurney. Who, who would he come in for, for in your opinion? Uh, I think McGoldrick. Interesting. Um, I'll probably say Robinson. I've I, 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 done that one. Yeah. I, I would personally expect, because mm, I think because Robinson can do the wide forward and the number 10. Mm. I know Diddy can drop and Diddy does drop all the time for us and he covers well and we know he presses well. But if we're going to be honest, we're not going to have a lot of the ball. We're not. Probably not. We're just we're just not. So we need to find a different way of playing for games like this because it's the one interesting thing of United season I'm waiting on. Not that we always dominate possession, but we have a lot of the ball to do our attacking patterns. We're going to have to find a way to attack without having much of the ball. Mm. Uh, and that's where I think of McBurney. That's where I think of Robinson and Freeman come in because Robinson doesn't need a lot of the ball to do something. He, he can go off on a dribble on his own. He's job. got pace. You know, transition. We talk about transition all the time. Transition, counter-attacks. McGoldrick, I love. You know, me and you love him. We have done for a long time and he'll come good this season. He'll have big parts to play. He's not a transitional player though. Mm. Not against Chelsea. Not against the side that press hard and leave space over the top and in the channels. That's not his game. Um, he's fit and he can run, but that, that wouldn't be his game for me. That's where Robinson and McBurney can play. But again, it does depend on the lineup tonight. If you see Robinson out there tonight, you can expect he's probably not starting on Saturday. Yeah. So it's it, it does depend on, on what while the thinking is but my personal opinion is I would go with a, a Robinson um, and a McBurney I think the midfield three probably stays the same I don't mm. I don't we can change that um, because they have put in good defensive displays we will need to be out defensively yeah I, I, I don't see much change there and obviously the, the back three and the wing backs pick themselves yeah we, we've actually defended brilliantly haven't we I mean I, I just yeah. very early doors but we have the second best XG against in the whole league um, and you know, obviously, there's a lot of uh, a lot of fixture bias in that. I mean, Leicester are a good team, but you know, we haven't played Man City or Liverpool. Yet. No, no, no. Well, you know, well, maybe Spurs isn't a good example. After I've watched two Spurs games this season, and both of them have been a bit of masterclass in how not to break down a defense. Yeah. So uh, maybe it's a good time to play Spurs, actually. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, we've defended very, very well. I mean, Henderson is there's not a criticism, but Henderson has barely made a save yet, like yeah, yeah. that I can think of. I mean, he made a couple of. Uh, at uh, Bournemouth, but I mean, I, I, go on. Sorry. He was unlucky. He made the great save before the goal, didn't he? So uh, he the 
Oh, against uh, Bournemouth. Wilson, yes. Yeah, Wilson yeah, hits yeah. it and it's great save and it just falls to Methem. But yeah, other than that, he's not had much to do, has he really? I mean, no, against too- Palace, it was the, town, the Townsend one, wasn't it? And then... Which is pretty comfortable. And then uh, Leicester only had two shots on target in the entire game and uh, unfortunately yeah. both of them were very well hit strikes. So yeah, I think we have defended very well. This is why I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit com- more confident than I probably should be of a newly promoted team going to... Uh, you know, a big four team as it is uh, a pretty established Champions League team. Um, Just yeah. excited, excited yeah. for that because you know this is a side they are in a side in transition. Absolutely, they look very good going forward. They look good on the ball. They're pressing high, which I'd expect from a Lampard team. They did it at Derby. Um, you know, and they've got a lot of pace, a lot of good movement, but they leave gaps everywhere. If it's so open, they leave, they? yeah, they leave gaps absolutely everywhere. The left back Palmieri, he'll go all day long. All day long, he's very good as well, and he's a danger. But there is space down that right hand side. Um, you know, if we can get on top of them and have a fight with them, then I don't know. I, I'm tempted to think we'd go there and get a point. We'd probably get spanked four nil now. But <laughs> I was just thinking that, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not saying we'll get a point, but I, I don't. I'm not concerned, and I, I certainly don't. We don't often lose games that we're absolutely decimated in. Mm. We are normally very close. One goal, two goal max. Which means all it needs to fall right is a bit of a set piece, you know, good good quality moments, and if we create enough and we're clinical enough, then there's a you know there's a good chance there. Chelsea give up a lot of chances, mm. a lot of chances, and McBurney's the type of player that, as much as they've got some quality in Christiansen and Zuma, I think they'd hate playing against him because he's just so awkward. What yeah. do you do with him? You don't you can't let him run by you because he's skillful and quick enough. You can't let him go aerially because he's good in the air. He loves holding it up and he loves laying it off. So w- what do you actually do with him? Yeah, indeed. And it sounds like Kante is not playing, um, and possibly Pedro as well, who's... Pedro's moved into a, a slightly more prominent position for them this year, I think, in the first yes, season. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's a, a good result for us if those two aren't playing, for sure. Um, coming up against Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham again. Just those still still annoyed, but there you go. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, just before we wrap up, I just want to quickly hit you with my Premier League predictions from before the season. And I want you to tell me if you think it's a fair prediction or if you think I'm way off. And if I'm way off, what's the alternative? Sound good? Okay. 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 Uh, so how will we do this season? Uh, I said we'll stay up, finish 16th. Good okay, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Cool. I'm good with that. Yeah. Top four, uh, Man City to win the league, Liverpool second, Spurs third, Chelsea fourth. Um, I would have agreed pre-season with... <laughs> Tottenham seem to be falling to pieces behind the scenes, so I don't know, but I'd still agree with that now for the minute. Yeah, Man City definitely going to win the league? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. without a shadow of a doubt. I think Liverpool overperformed by 14 points last year, so they, they won't do that again. That's basically my logic as well, whereas it won't shock me at all if Man City get 100 points or thereabouts again. They are just ridiculous. And, you know, they were fantastic last season, and uh, now they've got Kevin De Bruyne back. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're going to be really, really good. <laughs> It's like a four hundred million pound new signing. I kind of like just just on that chat though, talking general. I kind of like Arsenal. Do you? I know, I know they lost against Liverpool, but I actually thought in the first half they had a lot of good attacks oh, and they looked the dangerous. Half. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I just I think they're a poor team. David Luiz is an awful signing. I got rats <laughs> saying this on Twitter. Like, I think it's one of the worst signings I've ever seen. Wow. At thirty-two, at thirty-two years old to spend eight million quid and a hundred whatever grand in wages on a player who doesn't defend in big games. I don't get it. You, they've got Rob Holding, who's 21, who's a very yeah. good centre-back. Just build round him. Just actually provide him some defensive cover from midfield and you might get somewhere, guys. I don't know. That's fair. But that, their squad building worries me. I just love their front three. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, and Pepe, he's just, it's crazy. 
And uh, yeah, the, well, the first two of them basically is why they were near the top four at all last season when they were like a essentially an upper mid-table team on the underlying yeah. numbers. And yeah, the fact Lacazette and Aubameyang could just score a goal out of nothing every single week, and that is basically what they did, kind of fired them up there. So yeah, okay, cool. Uh, relegated teams. Um, so I went with Norwich, Newcastle, Brighton, and. I would say that the Brighton one probably doesn't look great now, but yeah, that's you put your neck out, don't you? So those are my three. What do you think? You know, I mean, I, I had Norwich predicted to go down, but very closely in eighty. I'm probably going to take that away. Mm. I, I think they'll stay. I think they'll stay up. I think they're kind of like Bournemouth, where the first year they come up, they'll lose games by conceding loads, but then they'll go and spank someone three or four nil as well. Mm. Um, I, I think they will. I'm still not sure on Brighton. Yeah. I love Greg Potter. He's a good manager. I like their team they're putting together, but there's a lot of change going on there. But there's teams falling down, isn't there? It's hard because you did that at the start of the season, the change. But there's this cycle at Watford that I heard someone on a podcast talking about the other day. I think it's Football Weekly, which was discussing the, the Watford 12-month cycle. Mm. And basically, every 12 months, their manager, who's doing well, just falls off a cliff. And Watford have fell off a cliff. Someone did a table over the last uh, 12 months. Or, mm. or 15, sorry, last 15 games. That was it, last 15 games. And Watford are in the relegation zone. Yeah, Andrew had them as a, a su- surprisingly bad team, actually. I think it, it looked... It's a great that. call. Yeah, I mean, it, it said just looking at Watford fans' kind of uh, views ahead of the season, they were, like, really down on what's happening there. So, yeah, that, that, I felt like that went under the radar a little bit in the, the wider media. I certainly had not really picked that up as, like, Watford could genuinely be in a bit of trouble this season. So, yeah, interesting one. Um... What else was there? Uh, first manager sacked. I went with Steve Bruce. I'll stick with that, even though he beat Spurs yeah. the other day. Yeah, I, I, I can't see much more than that. Weird, they went at a weird weekend for those results because Hodgson obviously getting a win at Palace as well and his mm. odds have gone tumbling. So, But yeah, I'd agree, Steve Bruce. Uh, which of our signings will have the biggest impact? Uh, I went with Callum Robinson. Okay. Uh, I would have, it's easily to bias that, I would have gone with McBurney. Mm. I, certainly, I, would have gone with I think if I was picking right now, I'd definitely go with McBurney, yeah. Although I think Robinson's but, been pretty good. And I still think he'll come better as well. I do yeah. think he'll come better. Anyone who's thinking Robinson isn't a good player, just no, nonsense. He will come good. <laughs> there will be games he does really well for us in and scores goals and sets up goals. So. Mm. Um, Billy Sharp, uh, will he score 10 or more goals or less than 10 goals? I went uh, less than 10 goals. Yeah, I mean, that's. Look, we've doubted him before and we've got pie in our face, but it's fair, isn't it? It's He's, he's going to have limited opportunity. He is, yeah. I think he, does he not have like one of the highest, there's that great uh, XG per 90 stats for uh, for Sharp after the first game of the season and he was like, his XG per 90 was like 16 goals or something. Yeah. <laughs> Played like 10 minutes and scored. Yeah. yeah. The mask don't work, but yeah. <laughs> uh, will we keep more or less than 10 clean sheets? I went more than 10, or 10 or more, rather. That's, that's a brave call, but actually, the way we've started, probably not bad considering, really, is it? But, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I was surprised to see quite a lot of teams do keep more than 10. So, 10 teams kept 10 or more clean sheets last season, and there were some surprising names among them, including uh, Cardiff. Palace, Bournemouth, who had the worst defence, they kept ten clean sheets. So yeah, I was I was feeling good about that. Yeah. That's a good that's a good bet. You should ask Skybeck. I'll give you that without telling him that information. <laughs> that's a good bet. Yeah, what would you go over or under? 
I would have probably gone over, but not been very comfortable in saying it, but just because of how good we are defensively when we want to be. Yeah. When we sit in that five, that three and that two, we're very hard to break down. And uh, that's borne out in the numbers at the minute. So let's review after another four or five games. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, will Chris Basham score a goal in the Premier League? I said yes. Yes, yes. It's coming. Especially, as, especially as we didn't sign uh, another right centre-back by the time the transfer oh, yeah. window closed. So, yeah, oh, I, yeah, that's coming. Might even come this weekend. We could see a Basham arriving at Stamford Bridge moment, maybe. There'll be, there'll be a free kick, something. He swan dives and gets his head on its bash. He'll do something. <laughs> Love it. Uh, United to get more points than the last time we were in the Premier League, which was 38. I said yes. That's interesting because the geek that I am, I went through every single Premier League season from 2000 um, until last season and I worked out all the teams that got promoted, all their points, did an average of what was 17th as well, so required to stay up. And the average is 38.4. There you go. So if we did that, we're likely to stay up. But it's only a 50% chance that any of the three promoted sides stay up. Hmm. So that, that's uh, one of us statistically will go down, although records are made to be broken, of course. But yeah, indeed. I, I, I would say that that would be... Well, I'm unsure on that one. I would say probably not, but I still think we'll stay up. I think, there's a, I think there'll be a lot of points taken off each other at the bottom of the table. Yeah, it looks that way, doesn't it? Uh, that's one thing, one sort of takeaway from the first three games is like... There's, I don't think there's a bad bad team. I don't. There's no to no. me that doesn't look like a Fulham or Huddersfield or a Cardiff this season. I mean that may no, no. that may age badly in six weeks or so. But yeah, Palace winning at Man U, um, Spurs losing at home to Newcastle, uh, Norwich getting a first win and then you know running running Chelsea pretty close uh, this weekend I, as well. And I don't think as much as I agree with you on Bruce and Newcastle could implode any time. They only lost one 0 home to Arsenal as well. That's true, yeah. although that was a pretty... It was a bit of half an Arsenal team, wasn't it? It was, but still, it's Arsenal and it's Newcastle, yeah. apparently this team that can't even do a warm-up. You know, it's, <laughs> it's it's nonsense to suggest that they have got good players. They've still got the ideas from Rafa there. They know how to defend. They know what spaces to go in. And they've got... Yeah. They've spent 60, 70 million quid, so they're a good team as well. I just think it'll be tight down the bottom. Six teams in it rather than two or three. Yeah, that's fair. All right, uh, and then the final one was uh, VAR, where we... Uh, Will we love it or hate it at the end of the season, or, or will we tolerate it or hate it? And I, I went with I went with tolerate. I think yeah. Over, over time, we'll stop. Um, we'll You're a positive. Stop, stop paying attention to it. Are you, are you going the other way? I, I yeah. I, I I don't think I'll have a problem with it. I think the majority will hate it. I, I just I think if it's tight down the bottom, especially, and I'm not just talking Sheffield United here, but if it's tight down the bottom, come the end of the season, it's going to cost someone something big. Not the custom, it might be right or it might be 50-50, you know, mm. and it, it's not saying it's wrong, but it's going to have a big influence or a big impact. I just, I just really feel it will. If you can imagine there's four or five teams coming into the last day, you just say, all needing points to stay up and different permutations and all of a sudden some VAR incident happens and it's, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I think it'll have a big impact and uh, it'll be perceived negatively. That's not good, is it? Like, when you think, when you put it like that, it's like, how can you i don't know this is a very circular debate but it's like how can how can you use technology and still end up with everybody uh you know half of people saying one thing and half of people saying another thing like it's it's, it's because football isn't clear is it offside is but fouls aren't clear you know certain things aren't clear and if you're not mm. using if you're not using it as a yes no gray black white like they're not doing because they're yeah. doing this whole half bar thing 
which is fine. So they're trying to keep the entertainment package, but that means you can't have a scientific yes no. Correct. Yeah, they're about to do this in NFL, aren't they? Uh, have, yeah, exactly. Uh, pass interference yeah. calls reviewable, which is ooh, <laughs> that's going to be yeah. fun. It's basically it the same conversation that we're having every week in the Premier League. Oh, me and you watch a lot of NFL, so we know this is that's a game changer. Yeah, that is, there is there is there is you know cornerbacks covering wide receivers now who will not be able to do what they do. Yeah, because they're going to get pulled. <laughs> they're going to get pulled every single pass. So it's it's going to be bonkers. But yeah, if you're going to run technology in a way that you're trying to be practical with it, then and allow choice, then choice always allows error. So beautifully yeah. put. Cool. All right, buddy. Let's uh, let's wrap it up there then. So yes, yeah, it's, it's great to have you uh, have you stepping into the breach. Good to have you back on the podcast. Um, you wrote a very good article on Canyo uh, Canyo football. Is that what it's pronounced? C A N O football. Uh, Kano football. Kano football, which is um, Alex Clapham's website, I believe. Is he the founder of that website? Yeah, yeah it's, it's got Alex's website, yeah. So Alex is a youth coach at Sheffield United. He's uh, he's also done his UEFA B, and I think he's doing his pro license at the minute, so the highest kind of coaching qualification you can get. And he's, as well as doing his work at United, he writes for The Guardian, and he goes around a lot of different clubs as well and academies. And he's, he's just, he's a great football brain. It wouldn't surprise mm. me if he's something there. On a kind of a first team bench within five years, he's a really, really clever coaching guy. But uh, we're, we're starting something. Uh, it, it's very much in its kind of infancy, but it's going to be looking at. So with the with with the rise of a certain outlet, shall we say, taking over journalism at the minute. Hmm. Um, There's already been name dropped on this podcast. So. Yeah, you've name dropped them, so it's fine. <laughs> but it's your pod, so it's all right. <laughs> but with the rise of that outlet, um, I, I feel with that outlet, and I don't want to start a new conversation, but I, I don't feel there's been enough tactical analysis at the minute. I think people like reading it. I think yeah, if you're, right. you know, if you've got ten minutes spare on a train, or if you sat on the toilet, or whatever, you, you quite like reading tactical analysis, especially if it's interesting teams that you've heard about from Europe, or if it's your team in England. So. I don't think the the Athletic are there yet. They might get there, but they're not there yet for me. Mm. Not even close. No, Michael Cox is, but he doesn't do enough stuff for them yet. Um, so I, I think there's a gap there to do that, and and we've decided we're going to step into that breach. And at the minute, it's completely free, and I don't think we're going to be changing that soon enough. So yeah, yeah. we're going to write some more stuff. So please go read it. Yeah, so definitely go and check out your article on on that C A N O football. Um, and yeah, you wrote a really good thing. Uh, it was focused on United and Norwich specifically, I believe, wasn't it? So it was a few weeks since I read it. Yeah, it was. It was last weekend when we both won. So it was kind of like how how are these new Premier League boys coming and, and bringing new ideas to it? And and we're obviously very interesting tactically um, that we like to tell people, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm having a good debate with the guys at Football Weekly as well about how we're interesting. So that's that's going well. Um, <laughs> and, and Norwich are very interesting. We saw that last year. They play some great football. They do some really cool things. They're cool behind the scenes as well. Um, I think Stuart Webber's exploded on Twitter after his interview at the weekend. So <laughs> it's uh, it, you know it, it's just something that shows what we do there. But there's going to be more. There's going to be more. So I'll, I'll be doing some some more Sheffield United stuff in the future and some more European stuff as well. So you like European football as well. I'm going to be writing on that as well soon. That's one. And obviously, I'm sure everyone already is. Um, but yeah, check you out at Blades Analytic on Twitter. Um, and yeah, good luck to uh, good luck to Posh as well. That was a big win at the weekend over MK Dons. Um, and yeah, their season's off and running as well. Is that, uh, is that nice to see? Uh, it was a hard start. Yeah. Now, let me tell you, now, you know, not much behind the scenes, but it was uh, there was emails being exchanged half 12 one in the morning about what we what do we need to do um you know do we need to go out and, and sort things out transfer market wise because obviously league one window is still open for the, yeah. for the minute um 
So th- there was a lot of conversations had, but the, the manager's he's a very experienced manager. He, he's very good at posh. He's got great history there and he's changed the, the formation. We've gone to a diamond now, which is quite popular at the minute. Hmm. But basically, I think we've got the best front three in the league. Um, I think Ivan Tony, Melissa, and Marcus Madison. I mean, has anyone seen Madison? Did you see Madison's goal at the weekend? I haven't actually, no. He must be 40 yards out. T- turns on the half turn on the right hand side because he's left footed, cuts inside and smashes it into the top corner. He's a good so player. Far, I wanted him in uh, League One and the Championship. 2.5 million release calls he had this summer. <sighs> Does he yeah, still exactly. have that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Very wise bit of business there, I think. Where, where's Leon Clark going? Last question. Surely somebody's going to sign Leon Clark in League One or two. Well, I think Wilder alluded to it, but there's a, so there's a problem. One thing, and it's not that we were looking for him for Peter because we're fine striker wise, but there's one thing I can say, which is. You know, our players who got got promoted with us along the years, especially from those from League One, hmm. they're on a lot of money for League One sides now because Absolutely. they got you know these. I don't know the exact number, but often it's twenty five percent or twenty percent promotion rises every time you go up. Yeah, and they've obviously had two in three years. Exactly, they've had two in three years. So, for someone for Leon, uh, at his age and wage, he's got to be a loan only. No one's going to buy him because of, of course, that wage. Yeah. No one can fee him out. And we'll be paying some, at least some of his wages, I would have thought. Exactly. You know, even if it's 25% or 30%, ideally 50% for the Blades, but it it, it makes him unattainable for a lot of teams. Now, there'll be someone out there who's, who's going to gamble on him because he will score goals at that level if given the right service and there'll be someone who either thinks they can kick on and, and do something with him or, or struggling and wants a striker. Same with Jake Wright. Yeah. But, Honestly, it's mind-boggling. There is a huge difference between what those players are on and, and what League One teams can pay. So yeah. I don't think we should be uh, crucifying anyone for not quite going out the door until it's ready. Yeah, you should go to uh, Fleetwood with everyone else. The United 2015 Victory Tour or whatever it is out there. So uh, Can all support Fleetwood when it's international breaks? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, basically. Or Peterborough, of course. Um, Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> cool. All right, Jay. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for giving up your time, Paul. Really enjoyed that. Um, and yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully back with some more Premier League points um, after this weekend's game. I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I share. I share your cautious optimism there. So yeah, fingers nice. crossed. Very cautious. <laughs> yeah. Nice one, mate. I'll talk to you later. Cheers, mate. Bye now. Quick break to talk about the Denblades fanzine sponsor of the podcast. This is a fanzine written, designed, and published by Blades for Blades, much like this podcast itself, actually. Uh, The annual is out now. You can get it from denblades.co.uk. And uh, as someone who's read it cover to cover over the weekend, uh, I can tell you it's absolutely worth your time. It's focused on the experience of watching Sheffield United away from home, contains anecdotes and memories from games great and terrible, all told by some extremely talented and creative Blades. Uh, there's an article by former United midfielder Nick Montgomery, and a personal favourite article is the Fulham Monty, which is the tale of 200 blades on a boat on the Thames for an away trip to Craven Cottage, written by local journalist Liz Burns. Uh, you can get the annual from denblades.co.uk, and you can now actually pick it up from the Albion pub on London Road too, so definitely recommend that one. And now back to the pod. All right, now time to bring in Ram Srinivas, who's a Chelsea fan, uh, writer, podcaster, and is going to talk to us a bit about this weekend's game with Chelsea. All right, I'm very pleased now to be joined by Ram Srinivas, who is a Chelsea fan, a writer and podcaster for WeAin'tGotNoHistory.com, an EFL analytics expert, I think it's probably fair to say. That's certainly certainly how I became aware of you, Ram, and uh, a great Twitter follow as well. Um, How are you doing today? 
Doing good, doing good. Very, very kind words. But oh, it's good to be here. Not at all. Um, so, yeah, we're obviously going to talk about Chelsea uh, a little bit and get a get a, a blues perspective on um, on United's opponents for uh, for, mm-hmm. for next weekend. So, I guess, uh, yeah, best place to start. I mean, how do you rate Chelsea's start to the season? It was obviously, quite, I think, quite a tough start. You know, Manu away, uh, Leicester at home, oh, I think are going to be good this year. And then you got your yeah. first win of the season as well. So yeah, what's your feelings on the on the start of the season? Yeah, no, I think it's been fine. I mean, I made it short to temper my expectations before the season started. I mean, given the circumstances and everything, mm. I think it's only wise to expect you know lowered uh, to, to lower your expectations. So I think it's been okay. Uh, the last year United was a little harsh, although I'm not saying that we weren't bad. But then I think we got much better against Liverpool and and against Leicester. I mean, the signs were there, mm. and then we were pretty good against Norwich. So, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm still optimistic. Yeah, I, I forgot the Liverpool game actually. Yeah, Chelsea were pretty impressive yeah. with that one. Um, the yeah, Ma- they were actually. Yeah, much much better than I thought. You know, because uh, Liverpool. I mean, every every Chelsea fan was expecting us to get thrashed like at least three 0 mm. But then we and we ended up actually, you know, outscoring them even via the expected goals. Yeah. So uh, that was that was pretty cool. The Manu game was weird. I watched that, and um, that was one of the just most unfair four nil score lines I think I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, that was that was crazy. But it's it's okay. Those things happen. You just have to take them in your stride. Be equanimous. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Obviously, new manager for Chelsea this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarri out. Our buddy Frank Lampard coming in from yep. Derby. Um, yep. What kind of style are Chelsea trying to implement under Lampard? And would you say it's kind of noticeably different to last season? Uh, yeah, I'd say it is pretty noticeably different. I've seen I've seen a lot of people saying that Sari built the foundations for this team and stuff like that. But I think that you'd be discrediting a lot of Lampard's work if you said that because his style is appreciably different from what Sari had at Chelsea. Sari Chelsea was mostly based around patient build-ups and a lot of short passing. And they would usually struggle to break down teams who implemented a lower mid-block. But Lampard's style of football is more intense on the pressing side. And it's also a lot more vertical. The transitions are a lot quicker. So, yeah, I'd say that I am definitely seeing a different kind of Chelsea this season. Is it a, is, is it a better Chelsea, in your opinion? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I mean, um, I'm sorry if this causes controversy among any Chelsea fan who might be listening to this, but... I, I found last season's team to be mm, not so enjoyable to watch. Mm. And we were also visibly struggling against certain things. And, you know, they say madness or they say insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting <laughs> things to change. <laughs> but And that's what it looked like at, the, at a lot of stretches last season. Yeah, And I'm not, seeing, I'm not seeing that now, so... That's good. That's a very good summary, I think. Of uh, yeah, as an outsider watching Chelsea last season, that was certainly the impression I got as well. Um, yeah. a, a hot take for you: Chelsea's mm-hmm. transfer embargo will be good for the club in the long term. Do you uh, agree or think that's complete nonsense? You know what? That's not a hot take for me because that has been my take since the very start. Ah. I'm one of those people who really wants, who really believes in the youngsters that we've been. Um, you know, developing at the academy at mm. Cobham. And so many of those have excelled in the EFL, as you might know. You guys even had Jamal Blackman. Although I'm not sure what your opinion of him was. Uh, I mean, did you like him? <laughs> I did, yeah. I, I thought he was good. Um, I think I think my kind of opinion of him is kind of lessened a little bit by um, how well Dean Henderson did the next yeah, season. Yeah, that, um, that's understandable. 
But yeah. I mean, that was just you know, Blackman wasn't really the kind of example. I was going just happened to mention it, but yeah, sure. I mean, you, you know who I'm talking about, right? Mason Mount and Tommy Abraham, Reese James. You've seen all of them. You've seen them do well in the championship itself, and those are three among many others who have either been sold or had a had a you know bad loan move or something like that. Mm. So I wanted I wanted Chelsea to give a chance to you know at least some of these really talented kids who are coming through because. We are just—we had been walking every single tournament at youth level for a good number of years, and something has to give, right? So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think the embargo is the perfect scenario that would allow the club to blood in some youth to actually help us undergo a transition mm. to a more financial, financially sustainable age. Because if you can't keep spending, uh, you know, a collective hundred million on the likes of Trink Potter and Zapacosta and Bakaya every year, which mm. is where we were headed. And that obviously can't continue. So yeah, yeah, it's good. The embargo is definitely good, and I, I'd say that we are beginning to see the rewards, and we will continue to do so with the likes of Mason Mount, Abraham Flourish. Yeah, I, I think it's actually, in a way, I mean, I guess it probably was no way to know this twelve months ago, but I think it's almost come at a good time as well. I feel like the you know the rest of the league after Chelsea and uh, excuse me after Man City and Liverpool is. Um, there's quite a drop-off in ability, I think, from those two. So, I mean, even in a sort of transition year, if you want to put it like that for Chelsea, I think they still have a very good chance of making the top four. So it's kind of come at a good time, I think, as it happens. Um, obviously, yeah. you mentioned some of the names there. Um, and, you know, as I said at the top, you follow EFL very closely. Um, mm-hmm. Has it surprised you that uh, Tammy Abraham and Mason Mount have uh, have adapted so quickly to the Premier League, or did you think even last season, like these guys should be playing in the Premier League already? Oh uh, no! Even from as objective a perspective as I can get from myself, hmm. I think I think that those kids were ready for the Premier League, and I mean ready in the sense the same way you know Harry Kane was ready when he started playing to Spurs hmm. so not quite the finished not quite the finished article but the talent was obviously there and the application was also there but I mean it's fine they they went through their paces in the championship for Abraham it was probably unnecessary hmm. but it helped him regain some momentum and even Mason Mount was coming off a lot of good momentum so I think it's just a matter of them showcasing the obvious talent they had on this level because yeah, I think they've been ready for a while now, and it, we're just we're just seeing it now. And I think we'll also see the same with Reese James. Mm. And another one I I thought was ready for the level, despite physical issues, was Jada Silva, and he he got sent back to Bristol City. I mean, he got sold. Mm. But I mean, don't don't be surprised if you see him play at a high level pretty soon. You know? And and I mean, like I said, there's more where it came from. So yeah, yeah, I I haven't been in doubt of some of these youngsters' talents. Yeah, who is there? Any other name that you think uh, you think should be playing Premier League football now, or, or definitely will be in the next sort of six to twelve months? From this, that's kind of on loan at Chelsea. Uh, sorry, on loan from Chelsea at the moment. <laughs> um, so there's Ethan Ampadu, who mm. is not from our academy per se. He it, he's played Exeter, some matches for us, obviously. Yeah, we, we got him from Exeter, and he is on loan at uh, RB Leipzig. And he, I mean, I don't know how the season is going to go on loan for him, but my opinion is that he should have been playing on loan at a high level from last season itself. And, you know, the thing is, um, Cardiff City wanted him on loan last season, mm. but Chelsea didn't let him go for, well, reasons. <laughs> and I heard that Aston Villa wanted him this season as well, and he ended up going to Leipzig. So, obviously, it's not just my opinion that he's ready to play at the Premier League level. 
yeah. what I've seen of him, and obviously other clubs think so as well. So I think Ethan Ampadu is definitely one, but he's going through a bit of a, you know, a growing, growing pains phase right now where he's getting injured, and um, so he has to grow out of that. But yeah, I, I think like within 12 months he'd be playing Premier League football. Another one is, you know, the thing is our uh, the size of our quote unquote loan army has been slashed by like half. Mm. It went from like 40 to like 21 or 22 or something this season. Uh, so all, all the good ones have either been sold or they are, uh, you know, in the first team. Yeah. Um, but I think that, or this, I mean, the ones that were Premier League ready anyway. So. And so, if I had to name one more apart from Ethan Ampadu, it would probably be Trevor Chaloba. Oh, yeah. You saw him at Ipswich last season, which wasn't the most conducive environment for a young player to look good. But and I mean, neither is Huddersfield, uh, as well as we're finding out. But mm. I think that Chaloba ideally should have gone to Germany or something. But he's in the Championship now, and I think he'll have a pretty good season. And he should be at a good level, even if it isn't the Premier League. I think he'll be in one of the Europe's top five leagues at least next mm. season. Nice, good one to keep an eye out for. Um, what's, mm-hmm. what's going on with Reese James? Actually, is he still rehabbing from injury? Yeah, yeah, he, he's injured. I mean, he's he's back in training now, but he will be ready to play within a week of the international break. I think, yeah. Okay, cool. for the World's game or the game after that. Do you think he'll? Um, do you think he'll be in the first team squad? Oh yes, Lampard has name dropped him. I think five times already and said uh-huh. he's going to be a big player for us. So. Yeah, that, that's like music to my ears, man. Yeah, and, well, uh, he's one I'd, I'd I wanted us to get on loan. I think, yeah, if, if he'd not been <laughs> injured, then I, I would have hoped to have tried to. But obviously, Lampard thinks very highly of him. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Aspilicueta isn't going through the best form of his life either, mm. or best phase. So he needs a rest, and he needs some real competition as well, which Zappa Costa wasn't really providing. So, yeah, Reese James is going to burst onto the scene next. Nice. Get him in your fantasy teams in a few weeks then. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Turning turning back to this weekend's get, game then with uh, yeah. with Sheffield United. Um, obviously, it's going to be a, a tough game for us. Uh, I have no idea when the last time we won at Chelsea was, but it would have been a very long time ago. Um, if United are to get something out of this game, what do you think that we need to do? Oof. Um, so first first things first, I should say that it's not just going to be a tough game for you. I think it's going to be a tough game for us as well. Because I really I like Sheffield United. I respect them a lot. I love the I love the culture and atmosphere that I can see around the club, even though it's just virtual or you know from videos or whatever, <laughs> just interactions. Um, I, I like the culture around the club. I love Chris Wilder as a character, as a as a you know tactical thinker and everything. I love how he's able to get the most out of players who are playing in like championship in the championship and in League One not <laughs> so long, and yeah so. I think that knowing the way you guys play, I think that um, Enda Stevens is going to, I mean, he's going to be pretty important in breaking us down because our right side is particularly vulnerable with uh, Aspilicueta being, I mean, not so good. And our midfield is pretty porous as well if N'Golo County doesn't play, which he might not. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, obviously you know how uh, David McGoldrick um, is the one to drop back into those into those uh, wide half spaces and you know help, help cause those overloads mm. or just drop back to add to the numbers in that midfield area. So I think that whoever's playing them the Goldrick role and yeah, so you guys play with the flat midfield three these days. I, I see that Lundstrom is in there. So mm. yeah, I think that um, the midfield battle will be very important and I think that you guys have a good chance of winning it because 
because of the flat midfield three or five. And that that's one area which you should definitely be looking to exploit. And the other area is, um, you know, that half space, which Enda Stevens will end up occupying when he's attacking and which McGoldrick would probably drop into. Mm. That's another area where you can easily run a stagget. So these are things I'm wary of. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm much, much more scared of Sheffield United than I let on. <laughs> and I, I have been telling other Chelsea fans about this as well. So, yeah, that's, that's what I think. Nice. Well, I love your optimism or, or pessimism, I suppose, from your side. Um, <laughs> and yeah, maybe uh, maybe Ollie McBurney will start this game as well. I know you're. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I cannot tell you how much. Yeah, I love him. Yeah. <laughs> so, What's that based on? Just watching him from for Swansea and. Um... Yeah, yeah, just watching him for Swansea. He was so good. He's, I mean, he's he's as complete a striker as a guest at the championship level, at least. I'm so happy he's in the Premier League now. I, I, I will say, I mean, I was saying from last season that he'd be perfect for the for the McGoldrick role. Mm. Uh, in your team and yeah I love that you signed him I think he's a dangerous player he, he could cause us a lot of havoc if he plays yeah I, I, I think he will that seems to be the, the feeling just uh, I would say he's obviously come off the bench in our three matches and I, I'd, yeah, say, yeah. I'd say at least two out of the three he's made a big impact obviously got the goal this weekend but yeah hopefully uh, hopefully he'll start and uh, we'll see how he gets on but yeah alright Ram thanks so much for uh, for your time I re- really appreciate getting the Chelsea perspective and uh yeah, I would definitely recommend everyone go follow you on Twitter, which I'm going to spell out because it's not. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 per, it's purpose. Is this purposefully difficult to remember? Ah, uh, yeah. It's a it's a play based on something people used to call me in school. So. Right. Okay. Anyway, it's at R R A M E triple S. Which, if you follow me on Twitter, then you will see it because I'll be tweeting it out with this podcast. So, yeah, Ram, thanks so much again. I really appreciate it. Um, all the best to Chelsea for this season. Um, just you know, maybe maybe not this weekend. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I love your podcast, and yeah, it's it's been really good to be on here. You're a hero. Thanks so much. Yeah.